You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Hi everybody, welcome to Done By Law for the 7th of July 2020. You're on 3CR, 8.55am and streaming on 3cr.org.au. We're proud to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're broadcasting from and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We're your hosts tonight, Daniel Bavcevich, Gemma Lee Dodds and Sue Robertson. Hi, Dan. Hi, Gemma. Hey. (laughs) Hello. Thanks thanks for having us again. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Our main discussion tonight will be about a unique class action investigation into the conduct of New South Wales Police being um, considered by Slater and Gordon. A word of warning that tonight's show discusses some pretty traumatic content in relation to police actions and some people might find this distressing. If you need to talk to anyone about what you've heard, please contact Lifeline on 131114. But first, we're going to have some news in brief. and. How can we not talk about the lockdown of our public housing um, areas in particular parts of Melbourne? That's right, Sue. Flemington and Kensington in particular. I think it's important to let everyone know as well that we're having this discussion and recording on Sunday, the 5th of July. So Mm -hmm. things could be very different as we go to air on the 7th of July. As I understand it, the public health directions... Um, that have been imposed under the emergency powers have imposed detention orders for at least 14, well, potentially 14 days, um, but reviewable at least after five days um, for public housing blocks in the Flemington and Kensington area, which is really, really scary. It is scary. I think that um, we were having a little chat before we started to record this and we were talking about how we all live in apartment buildings ourselves and we were talking about how we'd feel if our apartment building was suddenly surrounded by police and um, particularly if if we we ourselves or our neighbours were, were people who come from places where contact with the police is not necessarily as friendly as it most can be here in Australia and that that would be particularly scary. Uh, community legal centres in the area, in particular the Flemington and Kensington Community Legal Centre and the Inner Melbourne Community Legal Centre have already um, gone online and posted uh, statements about how they feel this is clearly something that the government shouldn't be doing um, and is potentially a bridge too far mm. and discriminatory. I'm not sure whether that may mean there's a consideration of uh, contesting these public health directions. Yeah, um, that's something that Gemma potentially flag could be viable. 
whether it can happen quickly enough because I mean this is this is the thing about COVID nineteen, right? What's what what obviously everybody's focusing on is that it it obviously seems to be disproportionately or dis, not even disproportionately um, specifically addressing people in public housing, um, and of course what what from a lawyer's point of view is 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 particularly concerning there is that the government has specific obligations to people in public housing. Um, obviously, it has a an overarching common law duty of care. Um, but more specifically, it has specific obligations under the Charter, the Charter of Rights and Responsibilities here in Victoria. So I suspect there will be a number of lawyers that are poring over the Charter and thinking about whether the government's application of making these orders um, fits under uh, what the Charter says is a lawful use of those powers. So it will be interesting to see. Yeah, we were talking earlier about, um, it should be noted, of course, the government is offering hardship payments and assistance with health issues and, and food and so on. But we were actually talking earlier about the language of, of the message and, and um, how the, the, the tone of that language can, can exacerbate that fear of people who are affected. Instead, you can use language that is more about, you know, look, Let's all join together and support these people who, you know, are in these hotspots and, you know, everybody in the community is um, here to help support the communities, these, these small spots of communities that are, and the people in there that, who are caught in this position, you know. So there's a, a language issue about whether you approach it with kindness and care and respect underneath it or you talk about it in fear terms and, you know, sort of exaggerate um, the, the fear in the community associated with those hotspots. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a matter of the communication and messaging around how this is told to people and the way it's relayed is, is so critical to the public health message's success. So um, I, it'll be interesting to see whether from a public health perspective, it's successful given the way it's been described. Um, so, yeah. Um, um, just while on that uh, topic of communication and messaging being clear, I think that is um, an important thing is actually to be clear about, well, how can the government actually do what they're doing and what is it exactly that is happening? Um, and the answers to those questions have actually been really well and clearly spelled out in very plain, easy to understand language on the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre website and the Inner Melbourne Community Legal Centre website. They've even actually got a mobile number for after hours legal advice that you can call if you have an urgent situation um, until the 10th of July, so this Friday. Um, that number is 0434-136-501. And I'm sure it will be on our Facebook page as well, mm -hmm. on the Dunbar Law Facebook page, um, mm -hmm. which you can also get to through the Dunbar Law on 3cr.org.au website. So that information is really important um, to communicate, I think, that there, is, there are these powers um, potentially contestable, but there are these powers and there, there's in, um, directions that are being imposed under the Public Health and Wellbeing Act. So hmm. messaging is, is key and communication is key. I 
I find it all very scary, though, to have mm-hmm. a police force lockdown rather than a stay-at-home direction where you have um, interaction with public health workers, like has already sort of been going on around the state, you know, where, yeah. Can I than, ask, Daniel, at, at the risk of asking a question that I, you might not know, but I have a feeling that you do, what's the difference between a detention um, order or a, a, a detection, detention direction, which I understand has been used here, and a, and a public health direction, which as you were just describing, has been used across the state otherwise? Well, I don't uh, purport to be an expert mm-hmm. on the topic, but I have had to uh, quickly become uh, equipped to understand the Public Health and Wellbeing Act, uh, the Victorian legislation that applies to the COVID-19 situation. And basically, a, a public health, to answer your question, a, a detention order is basically a public health direction. So there's different different directions that the Chief Health Officer, who we all come to be familiar with, has the power to impose under the Act. Um, And these powers they have um, are called emergency powers, where they have the power to restrict movement, detain people or a group of people for a period um, that they believe reasonably necessary to eliminate or reduce a serious risk to public health. That's actually coming straight out of the legislation right there, that wording. and they can designate emergency areas, they can create authorised detention zones or any other direction that they believe necessary or reasonable to keep the public safe. So they are broad. um, Literally, it says uh, the the emergency powers allow the public health officer to give any other direction um, that they consider is reasonably necessary to protect public health. So really, when you read it that, any other direction that is reasonably necessary is quite broad. It's, it's interesting how we're talking about police issues and, and um, I, I, there was one thing I was going to mention that um, came up on my Facebook um, timeline was um, that Fitzroy Legal Service is also giving lots of really useful free help and obviously other uh, community legal centres for uh, COVID fines. So this could impact on people in relation to more fines um, that are issued by police in relation to the COVID um, uh, orders that are constantly moving. So um, I guess we're telling our listeners that if any of this affects you, call um, the community legal centre near you and, um, and they should be able to give you some help, either with fines or with the powers in lockdown or... Um, anything that you're concerned about uh, they're there to help Uh, that's a good place to leave it and head to a break and then come back and have a discussion with our very own host Gemma Lee Dodds about a very significant class action that is being pursued against New South Wales Police Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped questioned fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. 
That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 and you're on Done By Law and you're listening to Daniel and Gemma and Sue chatting about uh, all sorts of things to do with police powers today. Um, Our main interview is with our own Gemma Lee Dodds who is here to discuss a case she's been investigating against the New South Wales Police for what may constitute thousands of unlawful strip searches which have taken place over the last six years. So outside of being on air at 3CR, Gemma is a senior associate at Slater and Gordon Lawyers where she works in both common law and commercial law class actions. Her cases currently include this unlawful strip search case that we're chatting about tonight. Welcome, Gemma. (laughs) <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, pleasure to have you on the show, Gemma. Um, so, yeah. before the show, Gemma, you, you shared uh, with us the case uh, study of a young woman, Becca, who came forward mm. and gave her story. Would it be okay if we played that audio um, on the show? I think it's a great way of just putting in context what is happening here. Yeah, for sure. Hi, my name is Becca, I'm 25 years old and this is my story of being strip searched. I was on my way to Lost Paradise Festival in 2017 when I was 22. When we were queuing up to enter the festival, two police officers were walking along with a dog when it sat next to me. They informed me that they had um, thought that I had illegal substances on me and that I would have to be searched. I could refuse this, but my entry ticket would be ripped up and I would be left stranded in the middle of nowhere. So I felt like I had to comply. That's when I was taken over to a large transit van. The male police officer handed me over to a female police officer and he said, go easy on her. I don't think she's got anything on her. That's when I started feeling really scared. I was taken into a van um, which at the front of the windshield was left uncovered. I could see three male police officers standing outside. When I was asked to lift my top up by the female police officer, I had said that I didn't have a bra on. She followed my gaze outside looking at the female police officers and she said, well, just do it quickly. She then asked me to remove my trousers and remove my underwear, but before that she had asked if I was on my period. That's when I replied yes, and she said we still have to do this anyway. She made me drop, squat and cough and looked underneath me, which I had a tampon in. I felt, at that point, extremely violated and cut off from my emotions. After that, I then exited the van. I was given all of my ID and bag back over and I quickly exited the area, walking past the police officers that were able to look in. Once I got back into the car and into the festival, I sobbed uncontrollably. I felt very emotional. And that evening, I dealt with the trauma by drinking. I'd like to now share my story to encourage others to come forward and speak out and sign up to the class action. 
You heard there from Becca, who told her story at the launch of the class action, and that audio was thanks to Seven News. Obviously, Becca's experience sounds horrific. Can you tell us about what's going on in New South Wales and why it's a problem? Yeah, um, and look, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like what happened to Becca is unique. Um, because in recent years, the rates of, of personal searches and strip searches um, in New South Wales, uh, conducted by New South Wales Police, have increased significantly. So there's been research and data to come back to, which have said that strip searches in New South Wales have increased by over 20-fold in just the last decade. And that strip searches as a matter of, I guess, comparison, for example, were used only 277 times in a year um, up until November 2006. Um, but uh, in the year um, before 2018 was actually used over 5,400 times. Um, so that's, that's a huge um, increase and that, that causes us trouble and, and, and I guess a moment to pause and reflect on what's happening here. Um, there's also some really important statistics uh, beneath that which, which show that police suspicion of a person possessing drugs accounts for actually 91% of all recorded reasons why police conduct a strip search. Um, and that's that's a kind of salient reason for us to start looking at um, if these this is the reason why we know New South Wales police are conducting strip searches and they've increased so significantly. Um, what's the reason behind that? Um, what we've also seen is that these rates seem to be particularly high at music festivals. Um, so we see a lot of people in New South Wales across the state and many different kinds of music festivals. Uh, being uh, strip searched by New South Wales Police. Uh, but we also know that Indigenous people have experienced high rates of strip searches. Um, and you, when we talk about strip searches, I can go into detail, I guess, about what that encompasses. But obviously, it's a really intrusive practice um, and can be very distressing. Strip searches um, don't just necessarily happen back at the station. There are uh, ways in which strip searches can be conducted technically in public. Um, uh, and but for important reasons, there are uh, limitations on how and when that can occur, and that's I guess really the focus for us. Um, so I guess over the last few years, in particular, to kind of address this this huge increase in strip searches, there's been a number of independent inquiries and reports into strip search practices in New South Wales. Our Redfern Legal Centre, who we're, we are partnering with um, on this class action investigation, have done a lot of work. Uh, in this space for a number of years and joined with UNSW to produce a report um, into this issue a couple of years ago. Um, you might have also heard of coronial inquests, uh, which focused on the deaths of uh, five young people in New South Wales music festivals last year. Um, and that inquest really um, highlighted the potential harm uh, that was caused by drug policies um, being policed um, and may have contributed to those people taking dangerous actions. Um, and I guess m most recently, in May this year, the New South Wales Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, or it's often referred to as LEC, the LEC, um, presented several, several reports to Parliament after inquiries into police strip searches, which considered that um, there were several um, unlawful strip searches, searches of underage children at music festivals, sometimes children as young as 16, um, and in one case, 11, um, which, um, suggested that this is being used on a, on a really indiscriminate um, 
uh, level um, and also sort of suggested that perhaps a number of the, of the police procedures that were being followed across the state were out of date or inaccurate. So I guess after considering all this material, our research indicates that it's likely that large numbers of people um, have been strip searched unlawfully. Um, and I guess I just add that in addition to the specific legal test of a strip search, we know that there are other laws that are in place that are meant to protect people's privacy and dignity and limit what police can do. So for example, there are uh, policies and procedures which for example require that a, um, a police person that is strip searching um, a woman should be of the same gender. Um, uh, they can't be questioned during the search because obviously that questioning could be biased or could be made under pressure. Um, and in our view, they can't be asked to squat or cough. Um, but from the anecdotal um, reports that we've heard back, there seems to be a lot of strip searches which are getting um, people, and in particular women, to squat and cough. Um, and so we know that from people's stories that these kinds of additional safeguards also aren't being respected by New South Wales Police. Why would they be asking them to squat and cough? That's... Yeah, I think, I think the rationale is in case um, drugs or other um, substances are being um, carried on the person and, and inside the, the vaginal cavity. Right. Right. Yeah. So what exactly are we talking about then? I mean, squatting and coughing is one thing, mm. but what actually goes on when someone is asked to be strip searched and the police conduct this, what's happening? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And the, the technical procedures around when police conduct a strip search as against a normal search, like the police coming up and asking if they can search and patting down a body, or it can be a bit grey, but What's really important to know is that New South Wales Police can't strip someone whenever and wherever they, they like. The law allows New South Wales to conduct searches only in, in really specific and limited circumstances. So they can conduct an ordinary search when they reasonably suspect that a person has drugs or stolen goods, uh, but they can conduct a strip search only if they reasonably believe it's necessary due to the seriousness and the urgency of the circumstances. And when you think about it, that makes sense. Those words, urgent and serious, really, really matter. And I think that's really the crux of what we're focusing in on. Um, are, we, are we talking, when we say urgent and serious, though, is the likelihood that a young person may have a bit of cannabis in their pocket or an another illegal drug uh, at a music festival such an urgent and serious reason? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that's, that's really what this, this class action is considering. Um, in, in, in many ways, I think when you look at the, the, the term urgent and serious, um, what urgent and serious threat a 17-year-old woman um, moving through the gates to enter a music festival is posing um, seems pretty hard to reach in my view. Um, importantly, I think another aspect of this is that um, a, people might be surprised to learn that a strip search doesn't necessarily involve the police asking someone to remove all their clothing. Um, it can also include police asking a person just to reveal a part of their skin, like removing a top. So we've also heard from people who felt really funny about what happened to them, felt really uncomfortable, but wouldn't have necessarily identified that what happened to them was a strip search. 
um, because they were only asked to remove a top and they just tried to do what they were told um, and not rock the boat. So um, part of what's really important with this class action proceeding is also trying to um, create public education and awareness about the limits of police powers um, and that a strip search um, doesn't necessarily, you know, obviously it can be the, the horrific story of someone being asked to strip down to nothing and squat and cough, but it can be as simple as being asked to show a body part. Um, um, so, Gemma, if I might uh, yeah. ask there then, um, do you have, uh, off the cuff, do you have any information or data about how many strip searches conducted by New South Wales Police actually resulted in the prosecution of a, an offence? or found yeah. some illegal drug or weapon? Um, I don't have those stats to hand, but I know that one stat that, is, that, we've, that, we've, um, that we were really surprised by is I think that over 65% of all strip searches find nothing. Um, so that kind of fig figure is pretty obscene. Um, there's also, in, in the research that we've read and in the, in the reports that we've read, um, some really... Um, question some really um significant questions levied at how accurate um drug detection dogs are at actually identifying a person with a drug on them um and so that really also calls into question how these laws are being used and applied lawfully um what i think people probably also don't recognize is that if they have been strip searched um but that strip search wasn't in accordance with the lawful standards so that it wasn't um urgent or serious, um, those actions become illegal acts. And so technically that then can become, can, should be considered an assault um, or another intentional tort potentially, like a false imprisonment. Um, and so from there, the principle is quite, quite simple. People who have been assaulted have been wronged and, and have rights to obtain redress. Um, so what we're looking for, to, for for people to come forward and tell us about what happens is, is that if people are asked to take off or, or, or some or, or all of their clothing, um, people who are asked to remove their bra or underpants, uh, people who re recall that the police looked underneath um, or moved their fingers underneath bra, um, uh, bra and underpants, um, people, uh, police peering into clothing, um, um, and indeed, I guess, if people were searched after a police dog um, uh, noticed, noticed them and, and provided that indication. The descriptions that you're giving, Gemma, are, they sound like female clothing and female underwear. And um, I'm also thinking about um, certain members of the public who are wearing particularly um, uh, clothing that's important to them culturally that um, um, creates this uh, issue. Is that yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, it, it seems to be really broadly applied, but certainly uh, for particular groups, um, there are additional rules that we would expect the police follow. And if those rules aren't being followed, like having a female police officer present, for example, um, then there may be, a, you know, some other level of unlawfulness that needs to be considered. Um, hmm. okay. Right. Um, Gemma, just quickly then, um, this seems, it sounds like it's a New South Wales-based class action. Mm. What if a listener is listening right now, feels that they've had an experience like this with police, but it didn't happen in New South Wales, uh, but it happened somewhere else in Australia, perhaps in Melbourne, what, what potential avenues might they have to redress or complaint against the police? 
Yeah. Um, yes, the class action is focused on New South Wales police, primarily for the reasons I've talked about before and that it's been so well investigated and there's been so many inquiries into the egregious level of conduct that seems to be happening there. If people have experienced um, um, some level of, of police brutality or bias which they want to get advice about, I would definitely advise them to go and speak to a lawyer. I know there are a number of specialist plaintiff law firms um, and community legal centres that really um, have a lot of expertise in this area. Um, so please do get some advice because um, it may well be happening in other states as well. There could be um, people in Victoria who actually were searched in New South Wales, but they actually live in Victoria. That's right. And we know of a few people that that applies to because obviously people travel interstate to attend music gigs or festivals. Um, so it's really important that we get the word out about this, this <clears throat> um, proceeding and certainly that if you're a solicitor, this might be something that's relevant to your clients, for example. So... Um, just, you know, keep an eye um, out about whether or not this is something that, that might be relevant. Um, yeah. Class actions are a really important tool that allow people with similar claims to act together against an institution. So the, the problem is that New South Wales police have been operating uh, like this and have been, there's obviously been a number of individual claims uh, about uh, strip search practices. But what we're really hoping is that collective action against um, the police um, means that we've got powers power by numbers. Um, so uh, the more people that we hear from, the better. Is there okay. any contact information that we should give? Yeah, sure. I mean, we can put a link up to the website again, um, but otherwise we've um, got the www.stripsearchclassaction.com um, URL um, so people can find us there. We've also got a Facebook page. Um, and there's lots of different ways people can register and tell us their stories. We've got a WhatsApp number. Um, so Google it and you shall find. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, <laughs> thank you very much, Gemma. Thank you very much, Sue. Um, that was done by law. It's Tuesday the 7th of July and we'll catch you next time. Stay tuned now for uh, the Voice of West Papua. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.